0: So Money, episode 1076, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Delianne, the money coach.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. Friday, July 31st. We learned yesterday, big news in the economic space, that our country suffered its worst quarter since the Second World War. GDP shrunk By 32.9%, I was hearing on NPR that that is so bad. I mean, we think about the last recession. A lot of conversations right now are finding parallels between this recession and the great recession that was in 2008, 2009, but this one is a lot more severe in my uh, view, and now the numbers are coming out suggesting that as well, because the worst quarter for GDP growth in 2008, we saw a decrease of 8.4%. That was at the height of the last recession. So now we're at 33% quarterly decline in GDP, four times as bad. Previous record was in 1958 when economic growth fell 10% during the Eisenhower recession. Really quick, what is GDP? Gross domestic product. It's one of the most popular indicators used to measure a country's economic health. It takes into consideration things like consumption, investment. It represents the total dollar value of all goods and services produced by an economy over a specific time period. And it determines whether an economy is growing or experiencing a recession. A recession technically is two consecutive quarters of economic decline. Cash is the thing right now. If you are unemployed and you're collecting unemployment, or if you've got a number of different side hustles, Do what you can to get to that bare bones budget, the budget that we talked about earlier in this month with my guest, Julie Alma-Taveras, who's a contributor to Next Advisor. She is the founder of Investing Latina. She has a great spreadsheet available at Next Advisor on how to calculate your bare bones budget and then from there pocket what you can if this recession has found you wondering how to make rent can you ditch your lease and go live with a family member we don't know exactly what the next phase of the stimulus is going to provide but we are hearing about lawmakers suggesting an extension of a moratorium on evictions so we can hope that we're not going to be kicked out of our homes because we can't pay the rent because we can't work because there's a pandemic. So starting off with some sobering news, but we are here to help. This is Ask News Friday, an opportunity for us to connect over your current, most recent financial questions. And in interestingly, I've taken to Instagram a couple of times this month to do some late night money pillow talk. I was up late one night like I am every night and thought, this could be my moment to go live on Instagram. I'm pretty busy during the day and everybody's going live. I don't want my content to be just one more thing that you can't consume during the day because you're doing so much else. So I thought, well, the nights are quiet. Let me go on live and and see if I can help people. And a lot of you showed up. I think that I've hit a nerve. The evenings, late night, before bed are as it turns out, when many of us are thinking about life and relationships and money and work and might be nice to just, you know, have a chit chat before your head hits the pillow. So I'm going to be doing more of these in the month of August. I'm going to try to do them more uh, consistently on a schedule so you can put it in your calendar and know that you should probably have a cup of coffee before bed so that you can be up and alert for our discussion. I've wanted to do it more often the last week, but I've been sleeping pretty early because the heat and the humidity really making me super extra tired. So I've been going to bed around nine o'clock. Now, since last Friday, I've received a lot of emails from listeners wanting to take me up on my academic scholarship. Thank you to everybody who wrote in with so much uncertainty surrounding the reopening of schools this fall, I'm setting aside some dollars to sponsor a student who needs in person or virtual tutoring to help him or her avoid falling behind. You know, some schools are reopening, but some families don't want to send their kids to school. They fear the virus. I totally get it. We're kind of in that camp. But you might not be able to afford to not send your child to school because you have to work. But really want to keep, but you, but. The, But at the same time, you want to keep your child home and getting some oversight with their schoolwork. And that's where I'm hoping to fill that gap. I'm hoping to support a family that cannot financially afford that assistance. I think there's a real need here. So thank you to everybody who wrote in. I'm currently going through the emails. I've also connected with the local education not-for-profits in my town and in our county to learn how I might be able to get involved there. And I share this because... Some of you have been wondering, you've been writing in, we've been DMing on Instagram about how you as an individual can actively further close the racial inequality in our country. Academic gaps lead to wealth gaps. So helping minorities and people of color enhance their education, give them the support that they need that the government is not providing to increase their chances for success later on in their lives. So more on that as the... uh, As we get closer to the school year, we'll have an announcement soon on that. Before we get to our co-host for today, I'm going to head over to the iTunes mailbag and select our reviewer of the week, and our thanks go out this week to eSeminara, July 24th. If you're listening, thank you for leaving your review, where you say, This year, I decided to get serious about my financial education. This podcast is the best free tool out there. I love Farnoosh's commitment to racial wealth equality. Everyone should listen to the Black Wealth Matters series. Her advice is practical. Her interview is really informative. And I recommended this podcast to every woman I know. Thank you so much. That's truly touching. And I'm promising to get the Black Wealth Matters album out there in the next week so that we can all download that more easily more share-friendly e email me, com and let me know that you left the review. I'll send over the link where we can schedule a time for us to connect for our 15-minute free money session. And if you're on the Instagram, you can also direct message me and let me know there. I'm pretty good with the DMs. You know who's really good on the DMs? Who's a celebrity who I tagged? I don't know this person, but I tagged her recently in a story and she wrote to me. I think it was her, sounded like her and not maybe her team, Yara Shahidi. She is a star in the show Blackish. She's half Black, half Iranian, y'all. And my son, I thought my son was watching her on his iPad. He was watching, I don't know, was Sesame Street or ABC Mouse or, U- I don't know, some sort of learning. He was learning something and there was a beautiful young Black girl who looked just like Yara, who, I, I mean- You know, on Sesame Street, if there's going to be like a special guest, it's usually like a famous person. So I immediately, instantly, I did without a doubt, thought it was Yara. I told my son, I said, you know, Yara is a, she's half Persian like you. She's half Iranian like you. And he looked at me like, what? I think he has a crush on her. I captured that moment, put it on my Instagram story, tagged Yara. She wrote back like right away. And she was like, oh my gosh, so cute. P.S. That's not me. (laughs) Oh God. Uh, but she said, salam to your son. And, and she was really sweet. And I felt really dumb uh, for mixing her up with somebody else. It was an honest mistake, but also cool, right? That she wrote back. I've asked her to be on the podcast, by the way, in the past and didn't get a response to that. But I did when I involved my son and his crush. So I now I know where her soft spot is. Yara, thank you for being so cool. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast this week, you know that I have been dedicating Monday and Wednesday and today to speaking with FIRE members, people who are in the financial independence, retire early community. But as we know, this community is predominantly white, predominantly male. And so I thought, let's bring on some individuals who are participating in this movement, but are bringing a fresh voice and a fresh face to the space. On Monday, we spoke with Paula Pant who's the founder of Afford Anything. She is Nepalese-American. On Wednesday, we spoke with Aman and Christina Browning, the founders of Our Rich Journey, uh, an African-American couple, two lovely daughters. They have since moved to Portugal with their retirement dollars and their retirement status in their 40s, early 40s. How do they do that? I want to do that. My co-host today is Delianne Barros, who is new to the FIRE movement. She's a lawyer by day and founder of Delianne the Money Coach, a popular Instagram and TikTok feed. You can find all of her stuff at MasterMyFIRE.com as well. Now, Delianne is Brazilian. She is the first in her family to accomplish many milestones, including attending college, becoming an employment attorney... And conquering New York City. She lived in the Big Apple for 14 years. And only then did she realize, you know what? I don't really know a whole lot about finance, despite New York City being the mecca of the financial industry. So she discovered the fire movement. She set on a path to retire from her grind as a lawyer at 45 years old, and Delianne quickly realized that the financial space was lacking the voices of people like her, a female Latina. So she decided to become that voice, and she launched Delianne the Money Coach earlier this year. She provides coaching and education in a fun and relatable way. Delian Barros, welcome to So Money. It's so great to have you here sharing the mic with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So MasterMyFire.com is a community uh, coaching business that you launched In January, right before COVID nineteen took over all of our lives, and uh, to your surprise, it kind of took off in a fast way. Tell us about the company and and what your mission is, because I know this is also kind of a side hustle still for you.
1: It is. I um, I work full time as an employment attorney, and I was frustrated at the idea that I didn't know a lot about my own finances and. I couldn't believe that I lived in New York city, the Mecca of the financial industry, a few subway stops from wall street, and I did not understand the stock market at all. And the more that I realized that, the more frustrated I became with myself and frustrated at, you know, what I had surrounded myself with and the information and the lack of it. And so I said, you know, not only am I gonna educate myself, I want to spread this knowledge to other people. Um, and so I started this, um, as, you know, just a way to educate and spread knowledge and it really caught on really quickly. And I've really, really enjoyed meeting new people and expanding into this space. Um, and I see that, that people are really, really hungry for this information and it's not trickling down. It's not trickling down to everyone. So, um, I'm really happy to, to just be another voice in this space, which I think is still really needed.
0: And specifically, the space that you're working in is the FIRE movement, which we have covered on this podcast. If you are a consumer of personal finance content listening, you know the FIRE movement is financial independence, retire early. A movement, Delianne, that when we think about it, we think often about the Mr. Money Mustaches of the world, these white former engineer men who are penny-pinching and being really strict with their budgets. Not a lot of like Latina women in this community, at least not as far as I, I see, but I see you and that's really exciting. So tell us about kind of the fresh voice that you're bringing to this space and hopefully the other women that you are inspiring to say,
1: hey, you can also do this. Yeah, I have to say, I don't know. Um, a lot of other Latinas that are talking about what I am talking about, especially specific to fire. Uh, the idea of reaching financial independence and retiring early is something that is completely foreign to my culture. Um, you know, growing up, I'm Brazilian. My parents, the only piece of advice they ever gave me was, "Pay, you know, don't get into credit card debt and get an education." That was the extent of my financial advice. And so, this idea of um, investing in the stock market and, you know, um, retiring early, which I plan to at 45, is something to this day that my mother has, does not understand. She likes all my videos on Instagram and she says I look cute. And that's the extent of what she thinks I'm doing on Instagram. <laughs> she doesn't really understand it. So I know that this is a common thread with a lot of Latino families. It's um, talking about money is still really taboo. And this idea of investing in the stock market um, sounds like um, like a scam to a lot of them. You know, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Latinos, they immediately say, oh, that's a scam. That's not for us. Um, they see it as something that is for rich white people. And, um, when you don't see people who look like you talking about these concepts, that's what you believe. You believe that this doesn't apply to me. So as I, as I reach out to more and more, um, Latinas, and most of my clients are Latina women, which really excites me. Um, they're like, you know, I reached out to you because you're the first person I've seen talk about money. Who looks like me, who sounds like me, who has a background similar to me. And that was enough to turn the switch in them to pursue this.
0: I wanted to bring you on the show to highlight the great work that you're doing, and also to help out our listeners. Uh, this is the Ask Farnoosh and Delian Friday episode, and we have a bunch of questions. I think the first one's really relevant to what you were just talking about, investing. This is a, a friend, Ramona, who listens to the show. Not my friend, but I mean, she's. I call I call our listeners friends because we're all <laughs> we're all friends. Here's her story. She says, "Hey Farnoosh, I'm a law student, and I am fortunate to have set aside cash to pay for." Tuition. But student loan interest rates are really low right now. So I'm thinking about taking those student loans out, but for the purposes of investing that money in the market. My thinking is that the US stock market return is about 10% on average historically. Well, depends. I guess this is me editorializing this, but I think that kind of depends on the chart you're reading. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, if the market's returning 10% and these loans have a rate of about 4 to Wouldn't I just come ahead by doing this? And I have to say, yes, maybe the math here makes sense, but I don't like the practice of taking out debt to invest.
1: A hundred percent. In the market. <laughs> just... Absolutely. The idea of borrowing money to invest, I think is never a good idea.
0: People have talked about doing this maybe with their home equity as well, pulling their the equity out of their home and then using that Loan, which is carrying maybe a two or three or four or whatever percent interest rate and putting that in the market. Talk about using risk to be even riskier. You know, if you're taking out, let's say, a student loan, that is designed firstly for your education. It's not designed for putting it into the stock market. Now, I don't know. Sometimes the private lenders are not going to come in, knock on your door, and be like, How are you using this money? But I have mm-hmm. a feeling they wouldn't be too happy about that. You want to make sure that you're using this money to invest in you, in yourself, and instead use savings to invest in the stock market. Use something that is getting maybe 0% interest to put in the stock market. You'll have even a bigger return there. It's a bigger spread. I get that people want to have access to money to be able to invest. I think that's part of the problem. And maybe you're seeing this in in your audience is like, I want to invest, but like, where do I get the money? So the next thing is like thinking, I'm going to borrow the money to invest which I can appreciate the sentiment, but I don't think that's actually
1: a safe move. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think it's probably one of the riskiest things that you can do. And like you were saying, um, if it's private versus federal, okay, yes, it's like it's less likely that a private lender is going to find out. But if the federal lender finds out, they can actually come after you and they Mm -hmm. can pay it back with the subsidized interest. So you can actually find yourself in a pretty sticky situation. But even putting that aside, it's still super high risk because there's no guarantee that you're going to make that return. So you might still lose the money and still have to pay the money back. Um, Right. So there's so many ways that this can go left um, that when you're looking at the risk reward ratio, to me, it's just way too heavy on the risk. Right. You're essentially taking on a debt
0: obligation. Obligation, if you lose the money in the stock market,
1: the debt is still owed on that student loan. And it's not forgivable. That right. is a loan that you can never, you know, get rid of, whether it's in bankruptcy or otherwise. It's so, it's almost impossible to get it dismissed. So, yeah, I just don't think that it's a good way to re- to look into investments if you really want to invest especially for the long term you are going to be persuaded to invest higher risk elements here because you are trying to make a quick buck to pay off a debt that is going to encourage you to invest in things that are super high risk and if you're not thinking about it in a long-term way which is what investing is supposed to be it's supposed to be this long-term investment um, that is not necessarily supposed to pay off short-term debts that is what your you will do when you finally graduate pay off your student loans with your income, and hopefully start investing in a much safer long-term strategy, like in a 401k, in an IRA. Right. You know, and that is the, that's the way to go here. You, know, When we
0: talk about investing, we're talking about, to your point, long-term retirement savings. The whole idea is not to pull that money out tomorrow or to pay back, you know, a debt. It is that this thing is going to ride out on its own. So Ramona, look, you're a law student. Soon you'll have a great job that will pay you good money, I hope. (laughs) Wherever you work, hopefully they'll have a 401k, you can plug into that. And because you are debt-free coming out of school, whoa, huge leg up. You can actually use your entire salary to save and invest and grow your money as opposed to paying down debt. That's a beautiful thing. So good on you for getting yourself through school debt-free. That's a huge feat. Our next question, Delianne, is from Megan, and she says she is concerned about her credit. Here's the question Is there a way for me to check my credit reports? to find out why they change so often. I've been paying my bills the same way and my score went down 15 points, but then it will suddenly rise five points. How do I know what is fueling this? That's the first question. And Then she has a second question, which is, do you recommend LifeLock or another system to keep my information off the dark web or out of people's hands in general? So to her first question, why does my credit score fluctuate between five and 15 points, up, down? You can't obsess over it too much. If you do see your credit score go down significantly, like 100 points or more than 50 points, I'd say that is where you really want to investigate. Find out what happened. If you claim that you've been just kind of doing everything the quote unquote right way, paying your bills on time, knocking down your debt, then that really shouldn't happen. And that could be a si- a signal of fraud or a report on your credit that was wrong, misreported. So you want to get to the bottom of that. But I don't think like a five point up or down here, 15 points there is really cause for concern because also remember that there are three different credit reporting agencies major credit reporting agencies. And while a lot of them collect a lot of the same kind of data and they have a lot of the same algorithms, they're not apples to apples to apples. And so you pull a credit score from one credit reporting agency and it's a 650. And then you pull it from the other one and it's a 616 or a 610, you know, or a 653. And and so as long as I'd say you're within like a 40 to 50 point range across the scores, it's probably not, maybe 50 is too high. I'd say maybe 25 to 30 point difference. Assume that they're all pretty much using the same information, that there isn't some huge discrepancy, just that some of the variables that they use are weighted differently. By and large, the best way to keep your credit score steady and growing Steadily is to pay down your debt, pay all your bills on time. One thing that we don't realize is like when we open up new credit, sometimes there's a ding on our credit report because of the credit inquiry that goes into action when we apply for new credit. It is a good practice to check your credit report regularly. So, Megan, I like that you are in the know, and everybody can go to annualcreditreport.com. It's a free website to check your credit report from each of the three major credit reporting agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. How often does credit come up as a concern as you're coaching clients, Delian?
1: It comes up a lot, especially because right now with COVID, um, people are struggling to pay their credit cards. So one of the things that I recommend is to call and to try to get your interest lowered or to even get the limits increased, because if you're maxing out your credit cards, that's going to impact your credit score, right? Right now, credit cards are not raising limits. That has, that has, we have struck out with that um, method. But lowering interest rates, we've had 50, I would say it's a 50-50 chance that a credit agency will, will do that. So it's worth a try. Um, I also wanted to highlight that because of COVID-19, annualcreditreport.com is allowing you to actually check your credit report weekly through April, 2021. So you can actually, if you really want to really keep a close eye on your credit, you can check it weekly. Although like Farnoosh said, I don't really think that's necessary. If you have credit alerts set up on your credit cards, on your debit cards, you should be covered with that. If anything, you also want to be keeping an eye on your you know, your debt utilization, you want to keep that below 10%. That's really the sweet spot. If you want to keep your credit score steady and growing, um, try to use less than 10% of whatever your credit limit is. That will um, keep you in a, out of the danger zone, I would say. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for the question, Megan. And to your second question, Megan, about do you recommend LifeLock or another system to keep my information off the dark web or out of people's hands in general? I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about LifeLock. If this is something that you can afford and would let you sleep better at night, you can look into it. Good rules of thumb for everyone to follow to protect their credit is just to make sure you're checking your credit report for fraudulent activity, number one, regularly. Check out annualcreditreport.com. You can also make sure that you're not giving your information out willy-nilly because it happens, right? You get Emails and texts and phone calls from people claiming that they're the IRS, claiming that they're your bank, claiming that they're some, you know, service that you're hooked up to and they, oh, can't remember what the last four digits of your credit card (laughs) number is or, you know, things like that, which when we're busy and we're living a rushed life, sometimes it happens to the best of us and we Mm -hmm. fall prey to a lot of these scams. So being alert to that. And then making sure that you are updating your passwords. You're not using the same password from 1995. That you're you know periodically going through. And LastPass is not a bad idea. Is a good investment. Where if you let's say lose your laptop, then someone hacks in, they can't just like go to your bank website and find your um, your username password easily. They it's a whole extra step that is super secure and ensures that your username and password doesn't get compromised, those steps can sometimes alleviate a lot of the risk and wouldn't require you to sign up for something as robust as a lifelock system. But good question. Thank you for, through your question, educating a lot of us. Quinn Delian wants to know about getting into the investment banking world And he doesn't have a college degree. He says, I couldn't afford to finish college, but my passion is investing and trading. And I would like to work in that field until I have a large enough portfolio and then I'm able to invest and trade on my own. So, Quinn, there's nothing stopping you from educating yourself on investing. All of the courses and tools are out there. When you're investing your own money, you can do that. And, you know, obviously, there's, you have to assume the risk of, of, investing as a novice and well, the trading world is a complex education. But if you're interested and you have the passion, I, there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to be able to ex, you know, excel at this um, even without a college degree. It is a trade and you can learn this. That said, if you want to expand your Business, so to speak, or your passion, and and start trading other people's money and start investing other people's money. Well, in that case, you will have to have certain uh, licenses. You don't need a college degree to take these exams. I think most people would want that from someone who's going to manage their money. They're going to want someone with like the fullest education. So that could end up being a barrier for you if you did want to start to trade other people's money. You would need these licenses: the Series Six, the Series Seven. Eventually, if you wanted to go into business for yourself, you would want to maybe pursue a college degree as well. People will want that, right?
1: I agree. I mean, you want a rounded person. Um, that's never going to hurt to pursue that. Yeah, you should definitely go for it. It's a space, but you know what?
0: Your track record speaks a lot. You know, people sometimes don't care because they're like, "Hey, this guy's." produced, you know, 15% returns for the last 20 years. I'm going to I'm going to bet on him. Uh, you know, there is that scenario I can see. It's great that you have this interest. Let's be honest, Delian, there's tons of information out there. He can self-educate.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, I am and yeah. I'm I'm a testament to that. Um and it's funny cuz I just was talking to somebody about this. I mean, there's no excuse why everybody shouldn't know something about this space. Like mm-hmm. everybody, it's, it's out there. It's just a matter of taking a little time out of your day and looking for um, a message that you can connect with because mm-hmm. there is no lack of resources, um, whether it's book, podcast, blog. It's in every shape, form, TikTok, you name it. It's out there. I will just caution one thing Quinn there are some like investing
0: schools out there that charge you a lot of money a friend of mine um paid like I think it was like $25,000 for Ooh. this yeah for this school that is now being investigated by uh. the SEC yeah. so do your due diligence do a background check on a lot of these if you do go down that path of investing a lot of your money in a more of a robust investing school. You know, you really want to make sure that they are accredited, that they are following guidelines and that you're really going to get your money's worth talking to former students, not just like buying into all their marketing material. Because I know that some of those some of those problems are out there. I've heard from people firsthand. So just wanted to put that out there as well, Quinn, as just like something for you to investigate. Last but not least, we have a question from Carmen, and this is really juicy. I don't know what your personal life situation is, Deliane, if you're single, if you're dating, if you're living with someone, if you're married, if you're not, but maybe you're single. Okay. So good. So she can get it from both perspectives as the married woman and then as the single woman. So Carmen has a question about whether or not to move in with her boyfriend. So here's the situation. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I have a move-in proposal from my boyfriend. I currently rent an apartment in Miami, Florida for $1,300 a month. Now, before the pandemic, I was earning $5,000 a month. Now it's been reduced to about $4,000 a month. My boyfriend makes about half of what I do, about $2,500 a month and his mortgage is also less than my rent. It's about $1,034. Now, he owns a duplex apartment. He leases out a section of it to a tenant, and he makes $800 from that. So all he really has to pay on the mortgage is $234. So now he's asked his girlfriend, Carmen, our friend, to move in but not for free. He said, Carmen, I want you to pay $800 also (laughs) (laughs) so that he can basically be profit, uh, cash flow positive on this home. The point of this is to be able to collect the money and be able to pay off his debt. So he does have consumer debt of $24,000. So bottom line, if Carmen takes this offer from her boyfriend to move in with him, which is a whole thing, right? Like moving in is a whole consideration beyond the finances, right? Do you actually want to move in together? Is this the right natural next step for you? I would want you to know the answer to that before you examine the numbers. Just like, is this the right move for us? If the answer is yes, and okay, let's tackle the finances here and whether or not... She says like, she kind of feels like it's a bit of a sacrifice for her because the... The apartment that she would move into would be smaller than where she's used to living. Now, granted, she's going to be saving some money. It's going to be like $500 cheaper to live with her boyfriend. But she's also like, is it right that I'm paying him to be able to pay off his debt? Maybe because then we can move forward with our life faster. Um, And then, you know, so this is what, so she's kind of at a crossroads, right? She's like, I love my boyfriend. I think she's a little. It's left a little bit of a bad taste in her mouth. <laughs> that yeah, he's, he's asked – <laughs> yeah, to, to, for her to pay like another eight hundred dollars so that he can be cash flow positive and pay off his own debt. Um, but on the other hand, it's an opportunity for them, for her to save money and to live together. But she says, "Look, we're not engaged." So how much should I really be sacrificing here? It's kind of a financial question, but it's also a much bigger question, right? If like, is this quote unquote, the right move for a lot of reasons? I will say this. If you're really serious, relationships move at all different paces, right? Like, I don't know if it's right for me to be like, you should wait to get a ring on your finger or you should wait to get engaged because that's when you're really ready, I don't know. Maybe they are really ready. What does it matter if there's a ring on her finger or not? I don't know. That's not for me to judge or comment on. But I will say that if you do see a future together with this gentleman, that you do want to have kids in a, in a wedding, as you pointed out, at some point someday, and he does have his consumer debt, not student loans. This is like credit card debt. So. <laughs> It's implied that it's a high interest situation, $24,000. I would want that out of the picture before we get married. And I get a lot of questions, Delianne, from oftentimes the women in relationships that are like, I want to help out my husband or sorry, my fiance or my boyfriend with his debt. I don't want to write him a blank check, but I want to do something that is helpful that we can both feel good about. Because a blank check is not going to be helpful to him because
1: it's just a handout. Right. And it's also, you're putting yourself in a risky situation where if you you're not risk, getting anything out, out of it. Right. Yeah, at, you're you're at, funding him.
0: Yeah. So at least in this situation, you're helping him out, but you're also getting something out of it, which is a place to live and right, you're paying but, less rent.
1: Yeah. I mean, as she says, you know, we're move, you're, you're moving in, um, you're sacrificing a little comfort without any real type of commitment, which I don't totally agree with. I mean, moving in with somebody is a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's asking you to pay some rent, if he didn't really want to move in with you, if he didn't, he wouldn't, I don't think he would do it just for the money. So moving in with somebody is a a huge commitment on both sides. So don't take that lightly. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think it's more of an emotional decision than a financial one. I think the fear that you might move in with him and then it might not awesome into something more like an engagement or marriage I think that's what's making you more nervous, possibly from um, than the money, just from the way you described it. But I could be totally wrong. But I think that financially, the numbers check out. Like it's not a huge red flag to me. Like Fernouche said, you're saving some money. You, you know, you are going to be have to pay rent no matter where you go. Whether you guys decided to move to a whole new place, you are going to have to split costs there as well. So if it's a short-term commitment. And you're going to be uncomfortable for a little while. I would just have a real conversation with him about expectations. Well, how long do you think that this will last? How long do you think we'll be here? Because I'm willing to do this for X amount of time, but I don't want it to be indefinite. And get some, you know, uh, boundaries around that. And maybe that will uh, give you a little more security.
0: Yes. Have a plan. Very good. Very good point. I like that. I like that a lot. And, And know that he is actually going to use this money to pay down the debt. So if he's getting $800 from you, by the end of the month, by the end of the year, or rather in a year, he should have you know $800 times 12 months, that's $9,600. And that's more than a third of that debt. And I hope that he's also saving in other ways to be able to bring that down even faster so really get clear on his debt reduction plan since you are going to be an instrumental part of that Carmen you have every right to be in the know about that and to have in check-ins you know meet every month and have a, a money date and talk about the progress that not only that he's making with his debt but you know again like as the, the two of you are getting closer and more committed and looking ahead what are some of the goals that you want to hit when do you want to hit them and what will they cost and how will you both chip in for those milestones. Wasn't this a good question? This is so juicy. I love it. So juicy. I feel like we know too much. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Give me everything and we will will work our way through it. Carmen, Quinn, Megan, Ramona, thank you so much for your questions. And Delianne, thank you so much for joining. So great to connect with you and learn about all the work that you're up to at The Money Coach, Delianne The Money Coach. Check her out on Instagram at Delianne The Money Coach. Tell us your website again.
1: So it is uh, mastermyfire.com, but you can always find me on Instagram or TikTok. Those are, those are my homes. Wait a days. minute. Can we talk about TikTok for a second? <laughs>
0: sure. I am not on TikTok. I just can't do one more thing, but I'm also reading a lot about how... It is actually spyware for the Chinese. So I don't know if you
1: think, if you're worried or concerned about being on it. No, I'm not concerned. Um, there hasn't been anything substantive other than that accusations made. There's supposedly an investigation that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the TikTok has said over and over again that the information is stored, um, is not stored in China, it is stored in the US with a backup in Singapore. The CEO is American, he used to be the CEO of Disney. Most of the employees are American, so they said that there is um, a separation there. And if for any reason China was to um, try to get the information, that they would not hand it over. Um, So I'm not concerned until there is something to be concerned about.
0: Thanks again. Have a great weekend. And everybody, I hope your weekend is so money.